I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. I don't ask my audience what they want. I tell them what they want. what they want and then they like it I'm not a bad guy I'm not a good guy I'm the guy I don't listen to anybody except me This week on a brand new edition of the Pro Wrestling Index, we recap WWE Payback, talk WWE Monday Night Raw, take your Twitter questions and respond to Ryback potentially leaving WWE and to the unfortunate news of China's passing. That and so much more this week on another action-packed edition of PWI. Welcome to another edition of the Pro Wrestling Index. It's been a while, but we're back, and we have a lot to cover. I'm your host, Matt Topolsky, and joined, as always, is my co-commentating colleague from across the pond, and dare I say, from the city of champions, Lester. Here he is, Mo Chatra. Mo, did they keep you up last night? (laughs) Keep me up last night and well into the morning, Matt. Yeah, it was... uh... Quite the most surreal thing I've ever been a part of. Um, to celebrate amongst um, fans of another club, but in this instance, I think I can be forgiven in that um, it was my hometown, hometown team of Leicester City defying all the odds to pull off one of the most incredible um, sporting triumphs um, the world has ever seen. Yeah. And uh, I don't think we'll ever see something like this again. And if we do, my God, um, that was just the most amazing thing. And, um, you know, t- uh, topped off by an amazing game between Chelsea and and uh, Tottenham. So, um, yeah, quite quite an amazing 24 hours here in my hometown of Leicester. And uh, I just can only say that I hope that one day, um, quite soon, we can experience the same in the lovely city of Liverpool. Yeah, that would be a wonderful thing. I, I got I got to say, though, um, you know, we talk a lot of sports entertainment, professional wrestling on this show, obviously. There was a little bit of that going on in the tunnel yesterday between Tottenham and Chelsea. Uh, some eye gouging going on there. I mean, this was a good old-fashioned brawl. 
Yes, nothing PG about it, was there? Um, <laughs> it was uh, no holes barred, UFC one style um, escapades between Tottenham and uh, Chelsea. It was uh, certainly uh, wild and. Uh, yeah, I think there'll be some repercussions from that one. But, yeah, disappointing from Spurs, who've really covered themselves in glory for all of the season and then um, you know, let themselves down with such poor behaviour, um, not only after the match, but certainly during the match as well, when they could have had easily three or four players sent off. But, uh, yeah, very reminiscent of what we talk about on a, uh, on our uh, Pro Singing Index podcast. Yeah, for sure. And we're going to talk about it here this week on the program as well. So it's been a, been a minute since we've been off. I've been extremely busy, everyone, uh, with multiple commitments. And so I do want to apologize for us being away. But we're back, and we've got a hell of a lot to cover. So let's get right into it. Uh, we'll start with WWE Payback, which was live this, this past Sunday from the WWE Network. Uh, a number of really good matches on this show, as a matter of fact. And um, before we actually break down this card, let me get your overall impressions on this show. Overall, Mo, what, what, what did you think of WWE Payback on Sunday? I thought it was a great show. I thought it was really good. Um, WWE has a knack of delivering very good shows um, right after WrestleMania, whether they've been backlashes in the past or um, other names or payback more recently. Um, the April shows tend to deliver, and this one certainly did. And it certainly seemed that it would, because looking at the lineup on paper prior to the show, um, it was stacked with some potentially great matches, and uh, you know, several of them delivered and then some. Yeah, there's no doubt about it at all. So let's get started. We're going to break down the card in its entirety. Uh, we're going to kind of do a Cliff Notes version of the pre-show, because, of course, it, it, it is the pre-show. So um, Dolph Ziggler took on Baron Corbin in this. I was actually very surprised by the outcome of this matchup, considering the fact that Baron Corbin has been built pretty well coming into WWE. His first loss, um, if I'm not mistaken, on WWE television, of course, he was the, um, the winner of the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. Uh, he, he dominated the majority of the match, and then Ziggler pinned him with a schoolboy at the end to get the victory. Um, so I'm assuming that what's happening here is it's WWE's way of setting up a, a longer-term feud between Dolph Ziggler and Baron Corbin. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because coming into this matchup, I, I, this is the only time I ever hear Dolph Ziggler referred to as a former world champion is any time he is about to put over somebody, that's when they acknowledge the fact that at one time this guy was a main eventer for the company. So I was I was 100% sure uh, when JBL mentioned that on the Raw leading up to payback uh, about Dolph Ziggler, that Ziggler was going to do the honors for Baron Corbin. I was wrong. Ziggler won in this match. Was it the right booking, Mo? Well, normally I would say no, but I think on this occasion I'll say yes. And the reason for that is... Um, I think that it would be good to have Baron Corbin um, enter a meaningful program with somebody, um, and this obviously is his first one on the main roster. And if you were to go over Ziggler again um, on the show, it would definitively end that program, and he'd have to move on to another opponent. And I think at this stage in his main roster career, um, he needs ring time with um, one of the better workers in the company just to get used to working um, – the WWE style in front of these larger crowds that he now has to work in front of. 
And um, Ziggler is certainly one of the best workers in the company. So if it means that um, certainly on the house shows he can work with like somebody like Adolf Ziggler uh, for at least another few more weeks, then by all means keep it going. So whilst on the one hand it's a bit of a shame that um, he has to suffer a loss like this, um, if ultimately he does triumph and emerge victorious from the feud, from the program, um, then I don't think there'll be any harm done and he'll have another uh, good couple of months of um, experience of working with, as I say, one of the best workers in the company. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that. I mean, I'm not uh, totally upset over this. Um, and I'm, I'm a Dolph Ziggler fan, so uh, Dolph, Dolph Ziggler gets a win. Uh, I'm not upset about it, but I do think that this will help build Baron Corbin down the road if he has a long-term feud or, you know, it doesn't have to be long term. It can be another month, another month and a half, maybe two shows where he's feuding with Dolph Ziggler and eventually gets the better of the feud. Uh, the second match, which was on the pre-show, was for the United States Championship featuring the big guy, Ryback, versus Kalisto, or as I now like to call him, Rey Mysterio 2.0. Uh, he was on Monday Night Raw uh, last night or Monday night and um, was wearing a, a mask with a suit sitting at ringside doing commentary. We've seen that from Ray before as well. Uh, nevertheless, let's talk about this matchup, which in my opinion was sloppy. It ended when Kalisto pinned Ryback after hitting the Salida del Sol and Kalisto retained the title. I was surprised by this decision because I thought that they needed to go in a new direction with the United States title, which to be quite honest, um, has become a forgettable title. It has absolutely no meaning on Kalisto right now. Kalisto is doing zero to elevate this title. The booking of this title and where it is featured on the shows is doing nothing to help the prominence of this title. It is primarily defended on the pre-show month after month. And now we have some new news about Ryback as well, which we'll get into in a minute. But what are your thoughts on the outcome of this matchup and the future of the U.S. Championship, Mo? I completely agree with you, Matt. Um, it's really a title that for me, serves very little purpose nowadays. And, uh, you know, I've talked in the past about how it'd be a good idea to merge the US Championship or even get rid of it altogether and have one um, singularly identified uh, secondary title, which has traditionally been the Intercontinental title. Um, unless I wanted to um, use the US Championship to push um, smaller guys and have it as an unofficial cruiserweight belt, then yes, it can serve somewhat of a purpose. Um, but, yeah, you're completely right. It's really gone nowhere fast under Kalisto, which is a shame because I thought last year they were actually doing quite a good job of resurrecting the prestige of that belt with John Cena's title reign. And all of that is a dim and distant memory now. And um, it really is, of all of the titles in the WWE, um, by far um, the least prestigious and least important one. And I think that... The sooner they drop the title um, off of Kalisto onto someone else, the better. I would have said Ryback should have been the ideal next champion, but um, he clearly won't be, and we'll come on to that later. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the U.S. title and a little bit more depth for a minute regarding John Cena. So when John Cena had this title, uh, many people said that it was John Cena who was making the title. It wasn't the title that was making the man. Well, I think we can all agree because John Cena is one of the biggest stars and the history of professional wrestling and sports entertainment. So him holding the title did mean quite a lot. But the booking of the title as well, where the title was featured on these shows, the fact that there was a U.S. Open challenge, the fact that John Cena was defending this title against any and all comers, and we saw new faces come onto the show. The likes of Sami Zayn, for example, 
wrestling John Cena for that title, or even Kevin Owens for that matter. Could this title have been featured in a different way? And if so, would that have made a difference? Or is this title doomed? Is it doomed while it sits on the waist of Kalisto? I think it is, yes. Um, I think that Kalisto is a, a great worker and um, you know, somebody who really impresses with his high spots and uh, certainly has a lot of upside as somebody who's got a lot of potential and could become a real uh, big asset for the company down the line. Um, but at this stage in his career, I mean, he's obviously only been in the company for about a year. Um, fans haven't really taken to him as a, a credible singles act. And um, he was shoehorned into that title uh, reign um, quite abruptly, and fans perhaps weren't ready for that. And uh, it was perhaps off, off the back of uh, one good performance in the ladder match. And... I think that um, he didn't really do enough to get the fans on his side. And certainly the way that the title's been booked, almost as an afterthought, where uh, by some weeks he's presented as a, as a United States champion, other weeks he's almost um, presented as just the tag team guy uh, with barely any recognition of him being a singles champion, um, hasn't helped at all. I mean, and, um, and to illustrate that point further, they're still using the same theme music for both he and Sin Cara. Well, that's right, yes. Um, and I think they need to make their minds up about what they want to do, uh, whether they want to push them in the singles guy, um, because obviously they're quite keen to bring through uh, more um, Hispanic wrestlers um, on the roster, and that's part of the reason why they decided to put the belt on him. Um, but then if they're then muddying the waters and confusing everyone by then having him um, just as a regular member of the tag team division, um, a week after defending it, uh, the U.S. title, uh, then it, it doesn't help his momentum as a singles act. So they need to decide what they want to do with him. And if the decision is, well, actually, for the time being, let's keep him as part of that tag team and push him there, um, then move the title straight away onto someone else. And there's various people that you can point to and say, yeah, actually, um, that belt would be more meaningful around that other person's waist. And somebody I can think of straight away is Sami Zayn. Yeah, I have to agree with you 100%. Now, right now, I don't think the Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn uh, feud that they have going between each other, which is hot, and it's a good grudge feud right now. I don't think that it needs a title, but but a star like that would really help elevate that title. But again, it's also about how the title is presented. And right now, the WWE, has, as you stated, they're using it as an afterthought, and I don't think that's the best way to utilize a title that has the lineage of the U.S. Championship. Um, let's move on and talk about Enzo and Cass versus the VOD Villains. This was the first match on the show. It was also the Tag Team Tournament Finals. The winner of this would be declared the number one contender and would face the New Day for the WWE Tag Team Championships. A scary situation happened in this matchup when Enzo Amore was thrown out of the ring by Simon Gotch. Amore's head snapped back after hitting the middle rope. And then the back of his head hit the ring apron. Amore was knocked out. I mean, he was completely unconscious, wasn't moving. And Gotch, not realizing what happened, even tried to pick him up. Thankfully, the ref stopped him and then stopped the match. We saw medical personnel coming out to ringside. They were tending to, um, to Enzo, and they put him on a stretcher. Uh, it was a very, very scary moment. He later regained consciousness. And uh, he was diagnosed with a se severe concussion, but it, it looks like he will make a full recovery. Um, good news, considering he didn't break his neck or anything else 
um, could have happened there. We we actually saw a, a Mexican uh, a lucha star last year lose his life um, to something very similar when uh, when he hit the rope the wrong way. So that was one of the first things that went through my mind as this was happening. So the VOD villains, it looks like, are going to move on for all intents and purposes and face the new day, which is what I thought we would see anyway. Mm. But um, uh, kind of a, a scary moment there uh, for Enzo. Absolutely. Um, that glazed look on his eyes, um, you know, was quite a frightening thing to see. Um, you know, certainly hit the ropes in a very awkward way. I don't blame Simon Gotch for that. Um, I think it was more a case of Enzo almost caught in two minds about how to exit the ring. And then as a result, um, hit his head on the second rope, um, banged it um, on the canvas quite hard. That clearly knocked him out and um, he couldn't continue. And one thing I will criticize Simon Gotch for is that he should have seen as soon as he went outside the ring um, that Enzo was not with it whatsoever. And the fact that he went to pick him up, um, that, that was a bit silly of him. Um, so he really should have known better. Um, but it was good that the referee was there to uh, put a stop to that straight away. Um, and um, it was just one of these unfortunate things. So it wasn't a great way to start the show. Um, but, you know, these things happen. And hopefully Enzo will be back before long. And, um, you know, it, 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 and, and when he does come back, it will be fantastic because this act, um, I think, has got major, major, major upside I think they have the potential to become um, possibly one of the top three hottest acts in the whole company before the end of the year because they've got personality and charisma and mic skills in abundance. And it's that kind of stuff rather than being able to have five-star matches that really resonates and connects with the mainstream um, casual audience um, that will really um, – decide whether somebody becomes a, a true bona fide main event headline act. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you. And Enzo Amore has an unreal level of charisma. Uh, he, I mean, the way that he connects with the audience, his mic skills uh, are fantastic. And he and Big Cass together are like the perfect storm. They remind me a lot of the New Age Outlaws uh, for some obvious reasons. But I, I feel like there's much more potential there for them than there even than, than even existed with the New Age Outlaws. So, uh, and I know some people are probably going to freak out because I'm already making those comparisons and I'm saying that. But this was the hottest tag team in NXT. I'm going to say the hottest tag team in NXT history. Uh-huh. And um, you know, unlike the VOD villains, which I do not think will translate well over the long term on the main roster in WWE, I think Enzo and Cass are exactly the opposite of that. They are the fresh air that the tag team division has needed. No disrespect to New Day because New Day is the hottest act in WWE. New Day sold the most the most merch at WrestleMania. But it is time for some fresh blood, and that is exactly what Enzo and Cass bring to the table. And I think uh, they can make a lot of money for WWE. Uh, next up, we had Sami Zayn versus Kevin Owens in this grudge match. Owens won with the pop-up powerbomb. A pretty damn good match, actually. Not 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 a five-star match by any stretch of the imagination, but a damn good match. And uh, the best uh, confrontation that we've seen between these two so far, certainly better than the matches that they've had in NXT, I believe. Um, afterwards, Owens said he wanted his Intercontinental title back, so he stayed at ringside for the next match. And uh, we'll kind of get into that in a minute. But uh, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, what did you think of their first major one-on-one confrontation on WWE TV? 
amazing, absolutely fantastic. These guys are just like Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, aren't they? They oh my, they are one of the best pairings in the wrestling business um, that I have ever ever seen. They have this chemistry between one another whereby they just know instinctively what to do, how to go um, from one spot to another to build a match and to really make it something. And uh, for those that have followed Zayn and Owens um, prior to their arrival in NXT and WWE, um, they've seen some classic matches between these two um, in promotions like um, PWG and Ring of Honor. And... You know, we saw more of the same in this match. It was fantastic, and uh, you know, it was it was really, really good to see um, Kevin Owens have a a breakthrough night. I thought this was the night where he really showed that he has all the potential and all the ability um, to be a credible uh, main event act. Um, not only in this match, um, but also afterwards, as we'll come on to. Um, he showed absolutely that he belongs at the very top of the WWE. And it was great to see so many other fans all around social media um, echo those sentiments that, you know, this guy is something special and he really needs to be um, maximized in terms of his potential uh, by the WWE because, you know, this, this guy's got it. Yeah, there's not a more complete performer on the entire roster than Kevin Owens. Uh, from 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 the very beginning, when he came into the company and he and John Cena uh, had their deal, and uh, John Cena, I'll never forget this. John Cena in this promo said, "You know, let me give you a piece of veteran advice," and Kevin Owens retorted by saying, "Let me give you a piece of veteran advice. I've been in this business longer than you have." And I think it was at that moment that people who had never seen Kevin Steen before realized what Kevin Steen or Kevin Owens truly brings to the table. And ever since then, I can't think of one match where I was disappointed or I was let down by Kevin Owens. I can't think of one segment, one angle, one interview, one moment of any kind, even the the random sit-down interviews that he has with Michael Cole on WWE.com. Kevin Owens does not disappoint. Kevin Owens is money for WWE. And they are finally starting to give this guy a little bit more breathing room to be creative and to do his thing on television. And it is really shining through. And the fact that he had a high-profile one-on-one match with Sami Zayn, somebody that he has a long history with, it really was good for this show. And then for him to stick around afterwards and be involved with the Miz and Cesaro Intercontinental Championship match, and then for Zayn to come down to ringside and attack him again, it really made the show feel kind of old school a little bit. It took me back to some of those those wild in-your-house pay-per-views of the mid-90s, if you will, where anything can possibly happen, and you got to stay tuned to find out. And uh, Kevin Owens is a bit of a throwback in that way. But just like we said about Enzo and Cass, he's also the fresh air that the product needs right now. And uh, I hope he's a future WWE champion because the belt would sure as hell look good on his shoulder. Absolutely, it would. Yeah, indeed. He's um, somebody I've been a big advocate of um, throughout our time on Pro Wrestling Index. And um, I think it's uh, almost inevitable that he has to become the champion. And if he doesn't, then there's something seriously wrong in the WWE. But I don't think that that's the case. I mean, Triple H has been high on this guy since the day he first signed with the company. And I think that, you know, if Triple H has any sway in the company, and we know he does, then 
Kevin Owens' time will come. It's more a question of when rather than if. Exactly. If you have the approval of Terror Ryzen, then you're going <laughs> to go far in WWE. Absolutely. Um, the, uh, the Miz, I'm, I'm a fan of what The Miz is doing right now. He defended the Intercontinental Championship. Maurice was at ringside with The Miz, looking good as always. And Cesaro, this new secret agent version of the Swiss Superman. Uh, and The Miz had a pretty good match. The Miz got the victory, retained the Intercontinental Championship. Are you a fan of what WWE is doing with The Miz right now and of his current work? I am, yes. Um, <laughs> you know, imagine thinking that The Miz isn't any good. <laughs> there are some idiots online that actually think he isn't any good. And I think that people who are of the view that The Miz has no talent, can't work, isn't a good wrestler, just are not paying enough attention or don't really understand the business at all. Because is The Miz one of the top promo guys in the WWE? Absolutely. His delivery, his promos is first class. It really, really is good. Very, very high level. In the ring as well, um, when he's given the opportunity, and in the last four or five years, it's quite rare for him to be given an opportunity to shine. You know, he can hold his own. He's no Kevin Owens. He's no Sami Zayn. Um, but he's a very competent worker. And I thought his match with Cesaro was pretty good. Um, the highlight, unfortunately, for him, though, was um, on Kevin Owens on commentary. I mean, he stole the show there, didn't he? I mean, as if it wasn't enough that he stole the show in the ring, he had to steal the show outside the ring. And some of his put downs of Michael Owens, uh, sorry, um, of um, Michael, um, Michael Cole, Cole even, yeah. Uh, yeah. Were, were just fantastic. That was so good. Michael Cole, there you go. Yeah, that, that was just really great to listen to. And um, he came across as such a such a superstar. And um, that was that was great. But unfortunately for Miss and to, uh, for Cesaro, um, you know, it was um, the guy in commentary that was outshining the guys in the ring. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And, and sometimes, you know, that, that, that can kind of take away from, from the spectacle. But I, in, in this case, I thought it added to it. I didn't have a problem with it at all. I really enjoyed it. And like I said, I mean, Kevin Owens is uh, – is really a, a shining star um, for this company right now. And he's just getting started, which is what the really exciting part about it is. Um, next up, we had Chris Jericho, Y2 Dad Bod versus Dean Ambrose. Let me be clear, though. I'm a huge fan of what Chris Jericho is doing right now. I think this is where you and I are going to have a fundamental disagreement, Mo, because uh-huh. in, 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 in recent weeks, I really liked how heelish Chris Jericho has been referring to everybody as a stupid idiot, which <laughs> cracks my ass up every time I hear it. Um, but this was Dean Ambrose' opportunity for redemption after his his loss, in some people's eyes, his shocking loss to Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania because many folks, myself included, viewed it as an opportunity for WWE to make Dean Ambrose. Instead, he gets a victory here over Chris Jericho on payback. Your thoughts on this match Chris Jericho and Dean Ambrose. I thought it was a good match, just about. Um, I didn't think it was a great match. Um, yeah, Jericho, you know, he's a talented guy. I think his talent is more um, outside of when the bell rings. And, and um, you know, as, as a worker, I really don't rate him anymore. I really don't. Um, he had his program earlier in the year with AJ Styles, and you know, you know, cast your mind back to the Royal Rumble and the reaction that AJ Styles got at the Rumble. It was amazing. It was a main event caliber reaction, and yet we then moved from that reaction into this drawn-out 
program between AJ Jericho and The Miz, and I thought it did AJ no favors whatsoever. And I don't blame The Miz because um, a lot of the work that AJ was doing at that time was with Jericho. And match after match, um, they were having good matches, but compare it to the stuff that AJ Styles has been doing in New Japan, it was nowhere near um, what he's been doing elsewhere. And AJ Styles is one of the top three or four workers in the business. He is an amazing talent. And it was really frustrating me that AJ wasn't able to show what he's capable of um, to this new audience because he didn't have the right dance partner with him who could go, who could hang with him, and who could maintain that pace that AJ likes to work at. And um, as a result, we were seeing some sloppiness and um, matches that really were not quite as good as they should have been. They were good matches, but they were not great matches. And AJ Styles is a guy that can work great match night after night. So that's what disappointed me about Jericho. And it really hit home to me that, yeah, this guy is now a middle-aged guy. He's no longer the Chris Jericho of 10, 15 years ago, who was really, really good. And uh, yes, he's a great talker and he'll be a great talker when he's 70 years of age. Uh, but is he the guy that can hang with these younger guys that are coming in from NXT and elsewhere? Not anymore, unfortunately. So that's why I tweeted the other night, you know, when it looked like Jericho might be heading off um, back onto the road with his band Fozzy, I said, um, yeah, I won't miss him. And unfortunately for, for me, he was back on Raw the next night. Yes. Well, I, I don't know where that initial report came from. I hope it wasn't the Wrestling Observer because I know, you know, people have been falling for some things over there. So uh, listen, no, I, it was from a tweet. Um, he actually yeah, tweeted, no, I know. Uh, I, know. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm just poking fun. I'm just poking fun at my old buddy, Dave. Um, but listen, uh, I understand where you're coming from on Chris Jericho. I, I You know, you and I had this discussion a few weeks back when the Jericho AJ Styles feud was in full swing. Um, Jericho's not at a place anymore in, in his career where he can hang with some of these guys. I mean, can, can he put on a serviceable match? Yes, he can. Can he tell a story in the ring? Yes, he can. Can he tell a story on a microphone and sell a match? He absolutely can talk people into the building. I love Chris Jericho. I'll always be a Chris Jericho fan, but I've got to agree with you. And this is the crossroads that WWE finds itself in because they waited so long to start building these new stars. And it wasn't until in just the last few weeks that I'm getting that new generation feel with all of these fresh faces coming on the main roster from NXT and other places. And now that you see AJ Styles working with some other talents, Roman Reigns being one of them, which we'll get into in a minute, um, like that main event that we saw, AJ Styles is able to get in all of his stuff. We're able to see AJ Styles, full 100% AJ Styles, and it's a beautiful thing to see, and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, the next matchup that was up was the women's championship matchup, Charlotte defending her title with Ric Flair in her corner against Natalia with the best there is, was, and ever will be, Bret Hart in her corner. Now, I got to give myself some credit, Mo, because last Friday on my podcast with Brad Gilmore, your opinion doesn't matter, I absolutely 100% called the outcome of the match. I said it would be fantastic if we saw another Montreal screw job and leave it up to little Nate to go ahead and pull it off, and that's exactly what happened we got the screw job finished. Now, some people apparently have never seen the Montreal screw job before because I was getting tweets from people saying, I don't understand. How could the ref see, not see that she didn't tap? 
Have you ever seen the Montreal screw job before? Come on, folks. This is so easy. What did you think of this matchup and the way it was booked? And um, and more importantly, Bret Hart, who has <laughs> been very opinionated about WWE recently. I think he even went on the record and said he doesn't even want to be on TV for them. He was only doing this for Natalia. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know if it's the medication that he's been on that's um, causing him to come out with some quite extreme opinions about WWE or if it's just old age or whatever it is. But, um, yeah, it's kind of surprising that WWE has allowed him to come back on TV when he's been so critical of um, various aspects of their product and of Triple H himself. But nonetheless, he was out there and it was good to see him. Um you know, looking in pretty decent shape given what he's been through the last few weeks and couple of months. And uh, the match itself was fine. And um, it was just a shame in a way that by having Brett and Ric Flair at ringside, they really overshadowed the match, didn't they? And, uh, you know, our eyes were more on them than <laughs> what was going on in the ring. And, uh, I mean, for, you know, to their credit, Charlotte and Natalia were actually working a, a good match. And um, it was threatening to become a very good match until um, that screw job finished. I actually didn't predict it. I'd, I didn't think they'd do something like that. Um, but, you know, they decided to do it and, you know, they ran with it the next night on, on Raw and we'll come on to that briefly in a moment or two. But um, it was clearly designed to keep the feud going and I think it's fine for it to carry on. Um, I think Charlotte and Tally do have some good chemistry together, and uh, I think we can see that carrying on for at least another couple more months. And that's fine by me because both are very, very good workers. And Charlotte, as a heel champion, just grows in stature by the week. And um, I'm really enjoying her work, so um, happy for it to continue. I have to agree with you 100% on Charlotte, uh, which is why I thought – uh, she was the right person to carry the women's division into its new era after WrestleMania. But I am a little surprised that we haven't seen more Sasha Banks and Charlotte. Are they saving that for later this year? Do you think that's something that we see at SummerSlam? I, I, I mean, not that Natalia doesn't deserve this because she's a tremendous worker and comes from a great lineage. But it just seems like that was the direction they were going with Sasha and Charlotte. It seemed like that was the case. And um in the weeks leading up to WrestleMania, um, there was certainly the possibility that Sasha would go over at WrestleMania, but then the closer we came to it, I think it was you, Matt, who was suggesting that given that they were going to move over to rebranding it from Divas to Women's Division, that Charlotte would be the right figurehead. And so it proved that WrestleMania. Um, and it's somewhat surprising that they decided to park that program um, with Sasha, uh, but... I, I'm sure they'll come back to it. They just can't leave it because, you know, every time Charlotte's out there, the fans are chanting for Sasha. So clearly the fans haven't forgotten and they want to see it. And the, this is one of those things where the longer you keep fans waiting, sometimes it can be to the benefit of the program so that when you eventually do deliver, then um, fans really are so keen and eager to see it. And I think when they do collide, whether it's a SummerSlam or even later, um, it will certainly be uh, an amazing atmosphere for that match. Yeah, I, I agree 100 percent. And um, like I said, there's really nothing more I can I can say about Charlotte other than been a fan of Charlotte since day one. She continues to get better. And 
despite the fact that sometimes Ric Flair being out there does overshadow her, she has still found a way to create her own mark. And I do feel like when they finally pull those two apart and uh, and Rick rides off into the sunset, she's going to be just fine. Um, and, you know, in summary regarding this women's division right now, I, I, I'm really happy with the rebranding. And I feel like it's going in a, in a good direction. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we talk about Raw here uh, in a few minutes. OK, so before we get into the main event, at this point in the night, Vince McMahon came out to the ring to announce who would be running Monday Night Raw for the foreseeable future. Would it be his daughter, Stephanie, or would it be Shane McMahon, who has had the reins for the last few weeks? Vince decided he would let both of them run it. And he also said that he wanted to see blood and he wanted them to slit each other's throat and a few other things that if any other talent said on air would be fired. But Vince can say whatever he wants. And he said he wanted his children to kill each other with a knife. Mo, <laughs> what uh, what say you about what we saw here? And uh, how do you feel about the, the co-general managership, if you will, between the McMahons? Well, firstly, uh, it was good to see um, the fans let out a huge, massive and prolonged CM Punk chant whilst Vince was in the ring. Um, and I thought he actually While Vince that. is saying, come on, that's all you got. <laughs> that's right. That's a very good impression, by the way. Uh, yeah, it was it was good to see him handling it so well. Um, sometimes with another talent around there, they'd be completely knocked off guard with uh, something like that. So he did well with that. Um, and it's good to see fans who remember CM Punk in his hometown still. Um, not that he'll, he'll acknowledge it because he likes to completely ignore the fact he was ever a professional wrestler um, whenever he's asked about it these days. But, yeah, in terms of the storyline advancement, uh, it was slightly underwhelming, and it's not something that fills me with particularly um, a great amount of excitement about the coming weeks on Raw and SmackDown in that it's quite predictable what will happen now in that they will try to gazump one another in terms of um, trying to put on what's best for business and um, to try and please the crowd. And, um, you know, from a storyline continuity perspective, it certainly makes no sense whatsoever um, when you look at what was um, laid out in terms of storylines prior to WrestleMania. So they've ignored large swathes of promos that these people were delivering um, in February and March time. But it is what it is. Um, I'll, I'll give it... I'll give it a chance, but I'm not I'm not expecting too much out of it. I think inevitably it will lead to some kind of match later on down the line um, with the company's future at stake once again, possibly at SummerSlam, maybe even later than that. Um, but, you know, we've talked about it in the past. Stephanie has to be on TV. And um, the fact that it's Shane rather than Triple H, um, at least that slightly mixes it up and makes it a bit more different. So... You know, I, I, um, I, I was slightly underwhelmed by it uh, as well. I, 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 you know what? I have high hopes for the, um, the entertainment value and the comedic shtick that could come between the two of them trying to usurp each other's authority and uh, suck up to Vince uh, to a certain extent. But at the same time, uh, it, it leaves very little room for a swerve. As, as you've said, it is a pretty predictable thing. I even envision a scenario where we see Shane versus Triple H. Uh, at SummerSlam. One thing that I do like about this, however, is that we don't have an oppressive heel authority figure on Monday Night Raw right now, barking orders at everybody and using this goddamn phrase that needs to come to its conclusion, and that is what's best for business. Um, as if anybody 
in the in in the world of wrestling fanhood gave a damn what was best for business when there was a time in which storylines were actually built properly talent was booked the right way and titles actually mattered and uh, when that took place there was no heel authority figures on any show was there ever a heel authority figure during the height of of the national wrestling alliance was there ever a heel authority figure during the height of wcw I mean, I, I just I don't understand it. It's like, well, do you remember the time that Bruno beat the authority? I mean, do, do you remember the time Hulk Hogan defeated the, uh, the Iron Sheik and, and won the WWF World Heavyweight Championship despite mm-hmm. Vince McMahon's efforts to stop him from from it happening? I mean, like these things didn't exist before because we didn't need them. We didn't need them then. We don't need them now. There's a general manager on NXT. His name's William Regal. Most people I'm sure have heard of him. He's not a heel general manager. He shows up once in a while, and when he does, it's an important moment. He's making a pivotal, a pivotal, excuse me, decision. Um, you know, we can go all the way back to President Jack Tunney if you want to. I mean, Jack, T- Jack, Jack, Jack Tunney wasn't a heel authority figure. He no. played, he played a vital role on the show when they needed him, and then he went away. Gorilla Monsoon was another one. Yep. He played a role on the show and then went away. I mean, we, if, if you're building storylines that people are emotionally invested in. Uh, i.e. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, for example. Well, there's no title at stake, and there's no authority figure pitting these two people against each other for any reason. They have a long history, and WWE has told a good story here. And I, as a viewer, are emotionally invested in this. So I think ultimately what I'd like to see in summary is for them to get away from these authority figures altogether on the show because I don't think they're necessary and they hurt the program overall. Absolutely well said, Matt. Uh, couldn't agree with you more. It's um, one of these things has um, come into play um, since almost, almost the end of the Attitude Era, or during the Attitude Era, and you know they think that they cannot do without this kind of character in some form of description, whether it's um, former talent, somebody from the McMahon family, even a computer. Um, there has to be this authority figure, and no, there doesn't have to be. I mean, um, Mo, uh, not, not, Mo, not to, not to cut you off, but just very quickly on on the computer thing too. Here was a deal where we had the raw general manager, the the quote anonymous raw general manager, and this thing went on for years. Yeah. And then one day, after building this thing up for so long, we find out that the big reveal is it was Hornswoggle. <laughs> and this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was um, it was just nonsense, really. And um, you know, they just need to move in a different direction. And that's what's so infuriating in, is that you know Vince on um, Payback was talking about um, reinventing Raw, you know, how they constantly have to change it. And yet, when we came to Raw the next night, and obviously we'll come on to that, but um, it was no different to every other role we've seen for the last however many years. And, you know, this is, again, something I've talked about at length, that I really think they need to radically alter the whole production and presentation of Raw. And I don't think it's that difficult because, um, you know, changing graphics, changing entrances, the way they shoot, you know, in terms of camera work, um, there's so many little things they can do, which all combined can make the product feel fresh again without radically altering how they book the thing. You know, uh, I, I couldn't agree with that more. And, I, and, and to that point, a few weeks ago on my other podcast, I had an opportunity to interview Eric Bischoff. If you haven't heard the interview, 
uh, cheap plug, go to opinionpodcast.com. You can listen to it uh, after this. And on that interview, Eric Bischoff talks about how even though the production quality of World Wrestling Entertainment is on, on another – it's on another planet. I mean it's, it's an incredible production quality. There are very few sporting events in the world that have the quality of production that WWE does. But to his point and to yours and to mine, sometimes it's a little overproduced. It's a little overproduced. And, and, I, and I think that's the point here is that maybe you could switch things up a little bit. Give it a different feel, something that's a little bit more cutting edge, something that's a little bit fresher, something that's a little grittier. You know, it doesn't have to be gritty in terms of adult-oriented, but it can be gritty in terms of its presentation, and it will feel more live and more organic. Absolutely. And if they're too scared to make that leap um, across both of their shows, why not test it and trial it with SmackDown? and try and go for a different vibe and different kind of approach to that show. And if that hits off uh, with the fan base and it resonates with the viewers and ratings go up, then translate it over to Raw. If it doesn't work, then fine. But at least they've tried something different because, you know, it's essentially the same approach to booking Raw and presenting Raw um, that has been in place since around 1997, and, um, you know, we're coming up to two decades now since then. And let's let's go for something else. And, um, you know, they, they are now clearly worried about the ratings because um, the fact that they've brought Shane in and the fact that they're talking about New Era and the fact that they're even acknowledging that Raw has been poor um, on TV, which in itself is quite an amazing thing when you think about it, then... That kind of tells you that, yeah, I think they're worried now that the ratings are reaching unacceptably low levels and they need to do something about it. And so I hope that they really think out of the box and rebrand Raw and SmackDown. And obviously SmackDown moving to Thursday um, – sorry, no, it, it's moving to Thursday nights in the UK. Um, they, they just need to do something different. And mm -hmm. – you know, the sooner they do that and come up with it, the better they've got. It. I mean, they can't say they've got it, haven't got enough people. They've got office of nearly a thousand people or so. Um, between them, they must be able to come up with some good ideas. Yeah, well, I think you know one one of the ways that they can get the product to a point where they start drawing ratings again that they can point to and show their investors and say, "Look, we're making progress." Is to listen to their audience. And so, with that being said, that is my segue into the guy who. I'm not a good guy. I'm not a bad guy. I'm the guy. Roman Reigns versus AJ Styles. Roman Reigns, the is he a face? Is he a heel? Is he a tweener? What is he? Oh, he's just the guy versus AJ Styles. So uh, Roman Reigns gets absolutely booed out of the building when he comes out to this thing again. Styles, nice reaction. Um, this matchup was outstanding. I, I thought, for my money, this was the best we've seen AJ Styles in WWE since he arrived. I also, for my money, say this is the best performance we've seen from Roman Reigns since that Hell in a Cell match he had with Bray Wyatt last year. What say you about what we saw in this matchup and the way this matchup was booked as well? Because the original finish was a countout. Then Shane McMahon came out, restarted the match. Then there was another disqualification. Stephanie McMahon came out restarted the match we had anderson and gallows involved we had um, the usos involved in this matchup as well and uh, in the end roman goes over clean it's what i expected to happen 
But um, what did you think of this matchup, the booking and the finish? Normally, with all of that amount of overbooking with all the outside interference and, you know, the false finishes of um, the count-out and uh, disqualification, you say, no, that's just too much. It'll disrupt the flow of the match. But I actually thought it added and enhanced the match and um, added more drama to it. And um, so that by the time it got into the closing stretch with the great near falls, um, you know, it really had a sense of drama and occasion to it. And um, it finished in a crescendo. It really, really was good. Built up fantastically well. And uh, you're completely right. AJ Styles, we finally got to see exactly what he's capable of. Gave us a glimpse of the talent that he possesses. And he really is, um, on, on his day, about as good a worker as you'll ever, ever see. He's such a magnificent worker. And to his credit, um, his opponent was magnificent. Roman Reigns um, gave perhaps his most assured singles performance to date. I mean, he's had some very good singles matches um, since he um, split out on his own from the Shield. But, um, you know, this was a performance that I really, really enjoyed because, you know, a lot of people have questions, uh, questioned uh, whether he should be a main eventer. Well, in this match, he absolutely, for me, 100% came across as a genuine bona fide uh, main event champion and he carried himself fantastically well throughout the match had a great demeanor about him had great aura and presence and um, that also added to the match so you know in every respect I really like this and uh, you know I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing more between these two and I'm sure we'll see it for at least another couple of months you know the measure of a great talent in my mind is how they can be booked to lose a main event match against a guy who is presumed to be the next star for the company for many years to come in the same way that we've seen so many other talents fade into oblivion after working under the spotlight with John Cena in the same capacity. And in this case, AJ Styles did the honors on Sunday night and came away from that looking stronger than he has yet in WWE. It is a testament to AJ Styles to be able to go in there and for the amount of time that he and Roman Reigns worked together to make Roman look like a million bucks. Now, Roman did his part, too. I'm not claiming that AJ Styles carried Roman through that match. That's not the case at all. But I am saying that the great stars in the history of this business, they elevate the folks that they work with in the ring. AJ Styles took Roman Reigns to a level that he has yet to perform at on Sunday night. I completely agree, yeah. Um, you cannot underestimate the role that um, AJ Styles played in making Roman Reigns come across like um, such a hot act and such a hot heel and such a hot champion. And um, this, again, compounds my criticism of Jericho because Jericho wasn't able to do in two and a half months with AJ uh, what Roman Reigns was able to do with um, a uh, AJ in 20 minutes. And um, I thought both fed off each other fantastically well. And, you know, they've not had much um, um, experience of working with one another, AJ and Roman Reigns. And the fact that they meshed so well in this match um, certainly excites me greatly for uh, when they clash again at Extreme Rules in a few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, listen, we have a loaded mailbag this week, and uh, I'm going to try and do something that we didn't do in the last episode of the show, and that's get to every question 
or certainly as many as possible because we have a lot of great questions and comments. So before we do that, let's very briefly just hit on our highlights of Monday Night Raw. Um, what were some of your highlights and takeaways from Raw? And overall, what did you think of the show? Yeah, I thought Raw was a pretty good show. Um, I didn't think it was a great show, but um, certainly had its positives. Um, we saw, obviously, Stephanie and Shane open the show. And um, given there was talk about the new era, to see Stephanie come out there uh, was a bit of a downer. But then it wasn't too long before we saw um, one Kevin Owens come out and, um, again, carry himself like a, um, a future main eventer. Um, so that was certainly good to see. Um, some of the wrestling that we saw on the show was pretty decent as well. Um, Cesaro and Kevin Owens, which opened, which was the first match, I actually thought that could be a potentially great match, but it somewhat disappointed me, actually. Uh, it was still okay, um, but um, I expected a bit more from it. Um, the Goldust stuff um, with Fandango, Tyler Breeze. Awful. Yeah, I mean, less, oh. the, less I, the less we say about that, the better. I uh, really don't understand what that's doing there. Um, the way that they're trying to move this tag team story, uh, tag team title storyline along um, might bring the Dudleys back into the picture. Um, it was it was okay, but um, clearly um, it was it was a big loss having Enzo go out the night before. Um, but I think you're right. The new day in the Vorder Villains is probably the direction they'll be going in um, in the next few weeks. Um, but um, yeah, it was fine. I mean, Rusev um, moving into contendership for the US title may mean that um, at Extreme Rules you finally do see a title change. And I wouldn't mind seeing the title belt on um, Rusev. I think he's actually quite a talented guy. He's quite underrated in my view. I um, I, I, I honestly think that that title belt's not going anywhere. I, I think I think what they're doing now is they're building Kalisto to be the giant killer i think i think that's i think that i think that's what they're doing i mean i i don't i can't see a situation where they put the title back on rusev because in my mind they had an opportunity to put the title on a guy in ryback that i thought could do more for the title and was more versatile as a performer in my estimation than than, than what rusev is and plus we've been there and done that with rusev um, you know, the, the Russian, the Bulgarian, whatever you want to call him now, I, I, I keep losing track because he's moving to a new country all the time. <laughs> he was the chairman of the League of Nations, and now they're broken up. Um, but we'll, we'll have to see what happens there. But I, I do think yeah. they're building Kalisto um, as a giant killer. Mm. Um, and then very quickly, um, yeah, we saw WWE acknowledge um, the little nature thing from um, 15, 16 years ago um, to explain the Montreal Screwjob from the night before. Uh, it, it wasn't a particularly good segment, but at least they made the effort of trying to explain why it happened. Um, and then the main event between AJ. They did that totally uh, just to stick it to Brett, by the way. I'm sure they did. Yeah. I'm sure it was designed to totally piss him off, and I'm yeah. sure he'll uh, go online or go on some interview and um, have another uh, epic rant about it. Um, but then the main event, Styles, Anderson, and Gallows against Reigns and the Usos. Um, I like the fact that they continue to tease um, something going on between Styles, Anderson, and Gallows in that Styles want to win clean, but Anderson and Gallows want to take the shortcuts. And I like the fact that they're not rushing that storyline and are building it over a number of weeks. And it'll be interesting to see where they go with it. And I think we'll probably see some major developments at Extreme Rules. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, one other thought that I want to add very quickly about Monday Night Raw is um, I am happy with the progress of the women's division. There are some people out there that have been a little critical of it, and uh, we may have a question in our mailbag regarding it as well. But we saw a match in the middle of this card last night, which I actually enjoyed. I thought it was a good wrestling match, and it also put emphasis on the fact that the women's division is going to be taken seriously. It is not going to be featured as a piss break on Raw anymore or other shows. We had Becky Lynch versus Emma. There wasn't a title up for grabs. There wasn't a number one contender implication on the line. It was two women that are building a feud between each other, and they're going to have wrestling matches. I really appreciated this. It was a breath of fresh air for me, and Emma defeated Becky Lynch, which was something that was also unexpected, which means that here's Emma, another fresh face to the company, uh, coming up from NXT, and they're going to utilize her properly on the show, which will then also be able to build Becky Lynch back up after she took that loss at WrestleMania in the triple threat matchup for the title. So I, I was really happy about that. I think it shows there that WWE is taking the women's division seriously and that they're going to feature it more prominently on their major shows. That's excellent, yes. Um, but I've just got a very quick question before we move on to our mailbag. Um, so your esteemed broadcast colleague, one Brad Gilmore, obviously is a fan of a certain uh, ex-diva, um, a lady by the name of Nikki Bella. Yes. Now, what is his opinion of what's going on with the women's division, um, given that Nikki Bella is nowhere to be seen? Is he of the view that it's going to be a lot better if and when she does return? Or is he quite impressed with what talent there is already there? You know, that's an interesting question. I really can't answer it for Brad because we, we haven't uh, really talked about that since the, the whole rebranding has taken place. I know Brad was of the opinion that the term diva would stay. Um, that's not the case at all. And, and I see why WWE has gone in this direction. I think UFC has influenced uh, their decision making in this area considerably. I, I even think. Mo, that sometime down the road, we will see a WWE pay-per-view and its main event will be a women's title match. I think that's very likely to happen sometime in the future. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just the direction that WWE is going in right now because of a women's re uh, revolution, which exists not just in sports, but in, in television and film right yeah. now as well. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. I'm excited about it. And WWE uh, is going to try and capitalize on it. But we'll have to get Brad on the show perhaps next week, and, and he can answer that question for you because um, it, this division looks very different now, that it's not, not just called the women's division, but the amount of talent that exists in it, the amount of diverse talent, the new faces that are in it, it's a completely, a radically different division than the one that featured A.J. Lee and Nikki Bella. Completely agree. And uh, you know, this is something I was talking about months and months ago in that when the likes of Charlotte and Becky Lynch and Sasha first came through onto the main roster, um, I certainly expected them to radically up the profile and quality of the division. And so it proved to be. Um, and obviously, whilst they've risen to the top. Um, well, Nikki Bella, obviously due to injury, hasn't been around. Um, but uh, I just thought I'd mention that because he t he tweeted a picture, a meme um, involving Nikki Bella and the phrase, the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. So uh, good good one, Brad. But yes. um, Oh, she was, she was standing next to Bret Hart. So, you know, it said the best there is, was, and ever will be, and Bret Hart. 
very good. Oh, but I, I, I will say there, there are many, many things that Nikki Bella, I'm sure, is fantastic at, and mm. uh, one of them is looking good all the time. I'm a Nikki Bella fan. All right, I, I, and I, and I understand, I understand why Brad is as well. Um, okay, listen, before we get to the mailbag, we have a little bit of breaking news. Now, while we were recording the show, this dropped because I promised you we were going to talk about Ryback a little bit more. We've done our Raw recap, and if you notice, we didn't say anything about Ryback. It's because Ryback got to the building on Monday night and told WWE he wanted to be taken off of television. Ryback apparently unhappy with his character and perhaps unhappy with some other things. I want to read a brief excerpt of a long blog post, which just dropped a few minutes ago from Ryback, and then I want to get your reactions to this, Mo. Um, Ryback uh, said this, Today I sit and fly home for the first time in years, feeling absolutely free. I will start by saying that I did request to be taken off of WWE television until myself and Vince could get a yes or no on a new deal. This has been going on since my IC title run and had been nothing but a major strain on my life as all I've ever wanted to do is work for WWE. I was told to head home until we could agree or not agree to specific terms, and contrary to reports, it isn't over money or a bus or that stuff. It was settled a while ago. It comes down to a major problem I have not only with WWE, but wrestling in general. Okay, now I want you to remember this. He said it's not over money. But he then says wrestling is predetermined. We as performers know before we go out to the ring or perform a backstage scene who is winning and losing. And we have a general idea of what we're going to say. So it blows my mind how in a sport which is predetermined from a company standpoint, the winners are paid so much more than the losers. Every single person who works for WWE from top to bottom is absolutely just as valuable as the next. The winners cannot win unless the losers go out there and agree to lose. This is a long diatribe. I invite everybody to just Google Ryback possibly leaving WWE or Ryback blog post, and you can read the entire thing for yourself. But he does have some very, very uh, interesting things to say, and it does get explicit at times. Uh, so that those are the words of Ryback right there, who I believe is done with WWE. What say you regarding uh, what we've heard and what uh, I've read right now from Ryback? Well... He's saying, this is not about money, but then my first complaint and main complaint is about the fact I'm not paid enough. Um, so that's <laughs> that's quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it, I think that the guy is quite a talented guy, but I think the comments he's come out with are probably not comments that are um, in, uh, kind of isolated to him and him alone. I would imagine that quite a few guys on the WWE roster, in fact, um, share his opinion. I think that in the case of Ryback, though, he's decided to go quite public um, in venting his frustration, whereas others will privately um, vent and um, complain amongst each, uh, each other and amongst themselves. And it's quite a brave thing for him to do because he also, within this blog, talks about how WWE was the only place he ever wanted to work and... Uh, you know, it's um, a brave and bold thing to basically take on the company in this way. And I just don't see any way back for him. I, I think it's a matter of time before he's told um, best of luck in your future endeavors. Well, let me ask you this question, Mo. Is it brave or is it childish? Because if he has these grievances, could he not air these grievances privately? 
behind the scenes. Like he says, for example, this is something that, um, you know, he's going to sit on the sidelines or he's not going to come back until he says, uh, until myself and Vince can get a yes or no on a deal. Why can't he just sit down and have this conversation with Vince McMahon or sit down and air his grievances about what's going on? Is, is Ryback not doing some of the very same things that a guy that he is very familiar with, CM Punk, did a few years ago, which he was critical of, of Punk for doing? Absolutely, yeah. Very, very good observation. Um, you're absolutely right. He's um, not really showing a great deal of self-awareness in um, criticising those uh, people in the past, CM Punk particularly, um, for saying certain things and yet doing the exact same thing himself um, in making this whole issue public. And it didn't need to go public. I mean, WWE in such situations don't leak these types of storylines themselves. They tr tend to deal with them privately and it will either result in um, the, the talent getting their contract um, upped and getting more pay and the contract being extended or the parties decide, well, actually, um, let's part ways and um, the talent then moves on elsewhere and finds work on the indie scene. Well, I think in this case, I just can't see any way back for him because... Um, in certain ways, it's a bit embarrassing for the WWE that one of their talents is openly coming out and um, being so critical of uh, the way WWE does business and treats its talent. So I think it's a question of when, run, if this guy is going to be let go, which I think is a shame because um, he's not one of their top workers, but I think he adds something different to the WWE. Um, he looks different. He's somebody who can appeal to a certain type of um, fan who's got that, those kind of old school views about what a wrestler should be. Um, so I, I think it's a shame that he, it looks like he'll, he will be moving on. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I just don't agree with his point that all talent should be paid the same because the reason why winners get paid more is because they tend to be more popular with the fan base. And the likes of John Cena, the likes of uh, Roman Reigns are going to be paid a lot more than your Fandangos of this world because, right. quite frankly, people give a shit about Fandango, or sorry, give a shit about Roman Reigns, and they give a shit about John Cena. They don't give a shit with respect about Fandango. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, that's a very good point. And, and the last thing I'd like to say about this is for a guy that's saying in his blog post, his public post about a company that he's still under contract with, publicly discussing a contract dispute he's having with them, he says it's not about money. He follows that comment up with a five or six paragraph post talking specifically about money. I know we talk about pro wrestling on this show, but I want to bring Dana White into this world for just a minute. I heard Dana White recently talking about the discrepancy that exists between he and Conor McGregor and more more importantly, what separates the success of UFC from the from the success of boxing. And that is that UFC fighters are paid with incentives. They are incentivized to perform. They're incentivized to show up. They're incentivized to fight. They're incentivized to win. They're incentivized when they have the best knockout or submission of the night. They're incentivized when they have the best fight of the event. And in, to a certain extent, that's what happens in the world of sports entertainment. You are incentivized to perform. You are incentivized to be one of the top stars in the company. If people were being paid based solely on wins and losses, then Seth Rollins would have made the least amount of money last year because as WWE champion, he lost 15 out of 16 matches. 
Uh. In a four-month span, he won one match on televised, uh, on the the TV show, excuse me. Um, So to me, I just – I can't accept this, Ryback. And uh, it's unfortunate that this was the path that he had to go down. There are many grievances that people can air uh, at WWE, but I would think that if you want to be a professional, you do it behind the scenes. Um, So with that being said, let's go to the mailbag, and it is a packed mailbag. Folks, this isn't a good mailbag. It's not a bad mailbag. It's the mailbag. And our first question (laughs) comes from the architect of the Anfield Index, Gags Tandon. Gags says, new era and all that. But the same problems, question mark, booking is still a mess when the McMahons are involved. What say you about that, Mo? Yeah, it's hard to disagree. Um, As I said earlier, this whole storyline with Shane and Stephanie um, being in joint control of Raw um, doesn't make any sense in terms of what we saw um, leading up to WrestleMania. And I think that and as I mentioned before, it will be um, quite predictable about where this goes. And um, we, we will see a lot of predictability from one week to the next uh, with Raw and possibly SmackDown. And um, that's not great. I prefer to see um, an end to the whole thing about um, this authority figure or authority figures, as you know we discussed earlier on. And uh, the sooner they put an end to it, the better. But I just don't think that we'll see that. I think we'll, in some form, some capacity, we'll continue to see these authority figures on TV. And uh, that's a shame. But I just hope that uh, other aspects of what we see from the television product can override um, some of the negativity around um, the way in which the McMahons or any authority figures are presented on TV. Yeah, I mean, I've already made my thoughts known on on the authority figures. I would like to see it uh, be vanquished from Monday Night Raw. I don't think they are necessary anymore, and one could argue that they haven't been necessary since the Austin-McMahon rivalry came to its conclusion. Um, Overall, in terms of booking on the show, whether the McMahons are on screen or not, well, that's another story entirely. You know, Vince McMahon was capable of booking – some of the best television that WWE's ever produced between 1996 and 2001, but that was when WWE had some real competition. Necessity is the mother of invention. Now with the ratings continuing to decline and WWE making some changes behind the scenes and on screen with new talent, it's my hope that perhaps the booking will change as well, but we'll have to see what happens. Uh, Our next question comes from Munther Buhindi at Munther Buhindi on Twitter. A uh, longtime listener of the show, and he says, with all this, quote, new era, end quote, talk, we'll still see a McMahon family soap opera on the show. Will it? Does it really feel like a new era? Now, I've said that this kind of reminds me of the new generation a little bit, Mo. Do you feel like it's a new era, or will it only be a new era when the McMahons are off screen? It'll only feel a new era when we see Raw and SmackDown um, receive their much-awaited revamp. Um, I think we'll still see a lot of the same faces that we've seen for a number of years, the likes of Randy Orton, the likes of John Cena, unfortunately the likes of Big Show and Kane as well. Um, but as long as those types of people are um, increasingly phased out in favour of the newer talents, 
Um, and I think that that's um, what will really signal the arrival of the new era. And I hope they come up with a catchier phrase than the new era. We've had the attitude era, we've had the reality era. Um, so let's come up with something different than new era, because when we talk about it in 10 years or 20 years' time, uh, talking about, oh, remember the days of the new era, that really doesn't <laughs> seem like <laughs> a, a, a phrase that will work well um, you know, over time. So how about, how, how, how about this? It's not a new era. It's not an old era. It's the era. There you go. That's better. Um, better than a new era, definitely. Yeah. Um, but no, I, th I think um, we'll have to see the younger talents come through. But one point I'll quickly make is, is that um, think back to the most successful era the WWE has seen, and that was the Attitude Era. Now, did we have a time then where we had a whole raft of old guard who'd been there since the 80s and early 90s around to put over the younger guys. No, it was actually the younger guys putting over each other and feeding off one another and rivaling one another to become the top stars in the company um, that really elevated everyone um, to unprecedented heights. And that's why they were doing ratings where they were getting um, – viewership far higher than what they're getting now and um you know that's perhaps the way to make this thing really successful as well is that ron trying to keep um the likes of chris jericho around to put over the younger guys let the young guys feed off one another and they'll in all an organic way um, kind of elevate each other and i'd like to see that yeah i would like to see that as well and i think that's what most of the fans would like to see um, so I think we, we all would agree with that. Okay, the next three questions are all about the same subject, and that is Roman Reigns. So I'm going to read all of these. We're going to condense them together, and then we're going to have our chat about the guy, Roman Reigns. Okay, so I have a question here first from Nick Turner, at NickTurner13 on Twitter. He says, why do they insist on Reigns still winning things when nobody likes him? All right. Next question from Allie Thompson at Allie13 on Twitter. He says, why are there so many bitter marks going around that just can't appreciate Reigns in-ring work? I'm glad I'm not called Mark. And then the last question is from Ike at Illini Hockey 3 on Twitter, and he says, will the WWE Universe ever buy Reigns as a tweener? Still getting booed, but AJ is a white-hot face. Will anyone ever cheer Roman? Question mark. These, by the way, all of these listeners, and we really appreciate your questions, are all tweeting at us from different parts of the world. So people from all corners of the globe have one opinion or another about Roman Reigns. What do you surmise from all this, Mo? <laughs> well, it probably explains why Roman Reigns is a tweener, because um, it's quite amazing, actually, that you know we're seeing what exactly happened with John Cena about 10, 11 years ago, happening with Roman Reigns now, in that it's such a split fan base um, and that they're so vociferously either for or against this individual. And, you know, you think back to the time of One Night Stand, ECW One Night Stand in 2006, 10 years ago. Um, you know, famously, one of the fans had the sign, if Cena wins, we riot. And um, that was a time at which the fans really began that backlash against John Cena. And um, it tended typically, not entirely, but typically to be 
the male adult males that were anti-Cena and the kids and the females that were pro-Cena. And we're seeing almost the exact same thing now where, again, it's predominantly the males that are anti-Roman Reigns and the females and the kids that are pro-Roman um, Reigns. And I think if you look at how show reports um, when the cameras are not there and you've got more of a family audience with more females and kids, and the reports are that actually the reactions to, to Roman Reigns are uh, much more stronger and more positive than what we see on TV when we tend to see a more male, um, adult male audience. And that's why on TV often we see Roman Reigns getting booed, whereas apparently on the house shows it's quite a different reaction where there's more family audience. And I think that's partly why they've decided to try this whole tweener thing in that um, by doing that it allows them to still push him in a way that um, can sell merchandise to children and, and to females, um, which is more difficult to do if he's a full-blown heel. Um, but then um, he can still present that subtle heel side to his character um, whenever you know he wants to uh, play off the kind of booze of the male fans. So I think that it's actually working well. And I thought the way he delivered the tweener role um, at payback was beautifully done. And um, I think that the tweener role has got a lot of potential. So I'm actually a big fan of where they're heading with his character now. You know, I, um, I begrudgingly have come to accept this. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. Because when you say he beautifully played it on Sunday night, I couldn't agree more. There were moments where he was doing things in the match, especially when he was taking the heat. Uh, when Gallows and Anderson were in there, where you thought, okay, here he is. He, he's playing a great face role. There were times where I saw the aggression coming out in this match, and I, and I was saying to myself, come on, come on, Roman. Turn, turn, embrace, embrace the real you, you know? Uh -huh. And so I was emotionally invested in what Roman Reigns was doing. Does it matter whether he's a face or a heel on the surface as long as you're emotionally invested in what's going on? I always had an issue with this when it came to John Cena. I don't have as big an issue with this when it comes to Roman Reigns. And I'll tell you why. Because I don't I don't buy into this concept that it's a 50-50 split with John Cena because it's it's really not. Now, you know, John got a really nice reaction at WrestleMania. I popped for John Cena when he returned. But during that long run of Cena, that long, apathetic run where he was carrying the title before The Rock came back the first time. People were so tired of John Cena being shoved down their throats. He was being booed out of buildings all over the world. And people just said, enough of this character already. We've had enough of it. And what Michael Cole was selling to us on Raw was, well, you know, he's one of the most polarizing superstars in WWE history. He's not polarizing. There was nothing polarizing about it. People were tired of him being shoved down their throats. I think the Roman Reigns thing is a little bit different. So let me ask two follow-up questions since we're on the subject of Reigns and AJ Styles right now. One of these questions comes from the Humanoids blog, at Humanoids blog on Twitter, and another one from Voice of Nathan on Twitter as well. Do you think Payback was Reigns' best match to date? Humanoids blog says, I was impressed with his selling and ability to keep pace with AJ. And Voice of Nathan says, does the way AJ lost last night strengthen or weaken his main event status? For me, he is now certified main event. So everyone's talking about this main event. So many questions about Reigns and AJ. What do you think about that? 
about all those questions right there? <laughs> well, uh, all I can say in summary is just that it's better for Roman Reigns as the champion, as a current figurehead of the company, to be talked about and for the, there to be so many different opinions about him rather than for there to be complete indifference towards him. Like Cena. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's important because we've seen it in the past where people have been champion or have been pushed as main event acts and fans really couldn't care less. Um, fans clearly do care. One way or another, they care about um, the fact that Roman Reigns is the world champion, is pushed as the top guy in the company right now and um, whether people agree with it or they don't agree with it they've got an opinion on it and I think that is important and I think WWE has acknowledged that you know it's better for fans to have an opinion than no opinion whatsoever and um, yeah I, I just think that um, they need to run with this and continue with it um, because you know there's a certain Seth Rollins who's going to be returning quite soon and you know, that whole scenario, that whole dynamic between he and Roman Reigns can go in a multitude of different directions. Um, so rather than reduce their options by making Reigns turn one way or, the, or another right now, um, keep him in that tweener role until Reigns is back, uh, until Rollins is back, and then um, let's see what happens. And the options then are... Um, um, you know, certainly far greater. So uh, that would be a fantastic um, way to then lead into SummerSlam uh, with those two potentially going at it for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Yeah, I agree. Keep the options open. Agree 100% on that. Um, okay, the next question comes from Guy Drinkle at Guy Drinkle on Twitter. Still one of my favorite Twitter handles, by the way. Um, Is the women's championship being damaged again by gimmicky stuff, he asked, like the ending at Payback? What do you think about this? Was the women's championship damaged by that at all or by having Ric Flair and Bret Hart at ringside? No, I don't think that for the one single match um, in one single spot, um, it was damaged. Um, it wasn't a great angle. It wasn't really necessary in my view. Uh, I, I think they did it because, as you mentioned, I think probably to partly piss off Brett, um, but also um, because they wanted to continue this whole uh, program between Charlotte and Natalia. Um, so I didn't have a problem with it. I don't, I don't think anyone will think any less of the division. Um, I don't think it certainly hampers the momentum of it. It's certainly on an upward trajectory, and I'm sure that Extreme Rules, um, Charlotte and Natalia will compete with one another again, think that that time round uh, we will see uh, a more definitive ending to that match um, and uh, I'm sure it'd be great all right here is a question that I have gotten almost as much as questions regarding Roman Reigns here it is when is Finn Balor debuting on the main roster will it be at extreme rules this question comes from Anfield Trust at Anfield Trust on Twitter where is Finn Balor Mo? What do we know about Finn Balor right now? Where is this guy? Well, what we do know is uh, he is no longer NXT champion. Um, I think it was last week, wasn't it, that he lost the title to Samoa Joe at um, NXT TV tapings? Yes, in, in, in Lowell, Massachusetts, I believe. Yes, in fact, was it even at TV tape? I don't think no, it was. No, it wasn't at TV tape. It was just a live event. Yes. So... 
that obviously got the rumor mill, rumor mill going again that, okay, that must mean that Finn Balor is heading into uh, the main roster. He'll be on Raw soon. He'll be reunited with his buddies Gallows and Anderson and possibly AJ. And um, that's going to be fantastic. Maybe not the case. I, I just think that they're holding fire with him. Um, and I think they'll be looking to debut him later in the year, possibly at or just after SummerSlam. Um, I think it would almost be a waste if he's debuted um, in the next few weeks. I'd like him to debut at a time when there's particularly a peak of interest. And SummerSlam tends to be one of those shows or points in the year when there is a peak of interest. And he needs to come in with some fanfare um, rather than just turn up out of the blue. Um, you know, he's a special talent. Um, his entrance is a special, especially when he has that whole devil kind of thing um, that gets up. So uh, I'd like to see them make something uh, special out of his um, debut on the main roster and build it up as something special so that by the time it actually comes, um, you know, fans are really looking forward to it rather than have it as a surprise because we see, we see too many of those surprises where people just turn up and, um, you know, that sometimes isn't what's – I know you just mentioned about it not being a great phrase, but I think sometimes that's not what's best for business. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing about it is, is for, for, I understand that, but for me at the same time, it's kind of like analysis paralysis here a little bit. Uh, on July 25th, Finn Balor will have his 35th birthday. My question is, if not now, when? You know, Triple H was asked on an investor call several months ago uh, what the plan was for Finn Balor. And Triple H, and I'm summarizing here, said something to the effect of they don't want to just use Finn Balor as a Band-Aid for injuries. So if other guys go down, they got to bring them up so they can they can fill a roster spot. They wanted to have a program for him. So to answer the question of the Anfield Trust, I'm not sure WWE has a program for him yet. I thought they, they you know, perhaps they looked at this this Bullet Club deal and thought, well, maybe this could be a Balor Club thing here. But I don't think they're still sure with what they want to do with AJ and the current members of the Bullet Club that are on the roster yet. And so that, I think, is, is part of the issue. So I think, if anything, Finn Balor is like a plane in a holding pattern. And he's just waiting till he's waiting on the control tower that is Titan Towers to tell him when he can land his plane. So I think it will happen sooner rather than later. But um, I don't anticipate it happening at Extreme Rules. I thought it would happen at Payback, and it didn't. So I'm going to hold off for a while. Maybe money in the bank. Perhaps. That he'd be one hell of a money in the bank winner. He would. That's only, what, six weeks away, seven weeks away? Yeah. So, uh... Yeah that's, yeah, that's a good shot right there. Okay, last question, and I want to thank everybody again for their questions in the mailbag this week. We couldn't get to all of them. I got to as many as I could. This is the last one. It comes from my good friend Pratik Gupta. And Pratik at, uh, at PratG63, by the way, on Twitter. Make sure you, you follow Pratik because he's always talking wrestling. He says, in your opinion, which is the best segment on the show, the highlight reel, the Ambrose Asylum, or Miz TV? What are you a fan of? What gets the highest rating on the show, Mo? <laughs> um, that's a tough one. Um, for me, it's either the highlight reel or Miss TV. Um, I'll go with Miss TV purely because we now get to see um, his lovely lo his lovely wife, rather, yes. uh, Maurice. So, legs, um, legs, legs, legs. Oh, my God. Woo! It's good. Yeah. Somebody get me a drink. 
<laughs> All right. Well, listen, again, thanks to everybody for the fantastic questions. That was an awesome mailbag. All right, my friend, before we get into our shameless plugs, we have to talk about something unfortunate that um, – uh, we talk about all too often in this business, and that is that we have lost yet another member of the community, and that is one of the most influential and inspirational female athletes in the history of professional wrestling. China passed away last week. What were your initial thoughts when you heard this, Mo, and um, uh, your opinions on her contributions to the business? Well, firstly, it's a real shame when yet another – um, big star or even a star from the business passed away at such a young age of I think she was only what 45 46 yeah going on 46 yeah and um, obviously the full circumstances behind um, the cause of death I, I think are yet to come out fully but um, certainly the speculation has been that it was drugs related um, and that wouldn't be a surprise given um, her checkered history with substances um, going back many years, all the way almost back till um, the time when she had that acrimonious split with Triple H. And, you know, that, that was another thing which um, um, was always sad in that um, that relationship seemed to have quite a, an effect on her right at the end of that relationship. And she never seemed to come to terms with with that in terms of the way in which that relationship ended with Triple H effectively cheating on, on her with Stephanie and co. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's just another lesson about, um, you know, taking care of yourselves and not letting the business get to you because it happens too often in, in wrestling that, um, you know, it, it just gets too much for people and uh, emotionally they just can't cope with it and they turn to substances and, um, you know, I just hope that we, we see far, far fewer such stories um, in the years to come because we've just had too many of these types of deaths over the last 10, 15 years. Uh, but in terms of a contribution, um, you know, she changed the game for women's wrestling, um, simply put. And, um, you know, the way in which um, females were viewed and seen within the WWE and wrestling as a whole um, certainly can't be underestimated and um, she certainly left her mark and there's an uh, undeniable legacy that she's left behind um, in paving the way for the females of the present and the future so um, you know she was a huge huge star of the attitude era and um, the fact that she competed with men and was presented as somebody who could compete on an equal footing um, was certainly ahead of its time when you think about it in terms of what they're trying to do with the women's division now. So uh, it was it was a sad kind of news story, and um, nonetheless, um, you know, it was good to see WWE acknowledge her, which especially given some of her unfortunate comments about the likes of Triple H in the last couple of years, uh, it was good to see the WWE. Um, look past those and um, acknowledge um, the contributions she did make to the company and the business. Yeah, I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't agree more, man, uh, you know, in terms of her, her total impact and contributions to the business. Um, I, ju I just want to clear up, you know, she was taking medication for anxiety and for insomnia, and it's definitely not something that you, you really want to mix together. And uh, it, it really, at the end of the day, in, in my opinion, what China really, what really died of was a broken heart, man. I mean, she, um, she put herself through hell. Uh, she, she never fully recovered from being released by WWE back in, I believe, 2001. Uh, 
And um, it was just one of those things where she never came back from after that. And it was just one demon after another that she continued to battle trying to get over this. And, and really what she sought at the end of the day, and, and I, Vince Russo, a guy who um, whom we both know I don't agree with too much, did, did um, a very fit, fitting and heartfelt tribute to her on his YouTube page. And um, he talked about the fact that what she really sought in life was acceptance. She just wanted to be accepted and wanted to be loved for for who she was and um if she could have seen the outpouring of love and support that came from so many people who she paved the way for and others that she worked for and helped make stars i think she would have um she, she would be smiling right now so uh, a, definitely an unfortunate loss and one could make the argument that not only was china one of the most influential wrestlers in the history of the business but that she was, in fact, one of the most influential stars in the history of WWE and certainly in the Attitude Era. Um, she was the, the focal point for some of the <laughs> some of the biggest moments. And if not, she was right there next to DX. She was right there next to Triple H. Um, she defeated Jeff Jarrett for the Intercontinental Championship, for God's sake. I mean, a woman defeating a man for the Intercontinental oh. title. It's not something we'll ever see again, but we saw it with China. And we saw it during that era. So uh, another one lost, China gone at the age of 45. And uh, Godspeed. And thank you for uh, for everything that you brought to the business. Um, with that being said, let's get into our shameless plugs, my friend. Another great show in the books. What's in? What's going on in the world of, of Mo Chatra? Other than, other than everyone partying in the streets out there, Mo, right now <laughs> where you are, what do you have going on? Well, speaking of books... Um... My work on my book continues at um, a sluggish pace, but uh, it will reach um, the light of day one day. But um, in the meantime, I've got a podcast um, lined up elsewhere. Um, not regularly, it's a one-off thing. Um, there's a website called Pro Wrestling Only. It's actually a forum um, that have been doing this um, big project over um, quite a number of months called the 100 greatest wrestlers in history, 100 greatest wrestlers ever. And um, I'm going to be having a discussion, debate, argument perhaps with um, one of the moderators from this um, forum, a um, guy by the name of Dylan Waco, where we'll be talking about John Cena and a big disagreement that um, I'm potentially going to have with him in that he rated him above um, the likes of Mitsuharu Misawa, Kenta Kabashi, Toshiaki Kawada, um, and not only those guys, but also Bret Hart. He says that um, John Cena is a greater wrestler than Bret Hart ever was. So um, that should make for some very interesting listening. So well, That's right in your wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> that's, going to be, that's going to be quite a good one. So um, I, I think I'll be taping that in the next week, week and a half. Um, so uh, very much looking forward to that discussion. And um, I'm, I'm very confident I'll emerge victorious from that debate. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you will. Um, and where, where will people be able to hear that again? Do you guys have that set up yet? Um, not yet. We're just working through the details um, and trying to come up with um, the terms of the discussion and who will moderate <laughs> and things like that. But uh, no, once once we set the uh, battlefield and agree on 
um, our pay and cut and stuff, then, uh, yeah, it will be taping very soon. Um, but as soon as the details are confirmed, I'll, I'll let everyone know um, next week and uh, also on Twitter. Awesome, man. Well, that's very exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing it, and I'm sure the listeners are as well. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening to this show, as always, and for sticking with us. My schedule has been absolutely crazy the last few weeks, and uh, I've got to do a better job of, of getting together with Mo every week and, and getting this show done because I uh, really do appreciate everybody who's been engaged and all the fantastic questions that we had this week. And before we finish as well, congratulations, Matt, because you're now – executive producer of uh, reality wrestling i am thank you very much yeah it's um it's an incredible honor and it's really really cool um you know i've, I've already been working behind the scenes for for quite some time with kevin bernhardt who is the director of the show and kevin is is the hardest worker you'll ever meet in television i mean the amount of work that kevin has on his plate every single week to produce a i mean WWE uses the phrase weekly episodic television. Well, we also produce a weekly episodic television product. It's it's every single week. It's a brand new episode. And of course, the scale of our productions nowhere near what WWE's is. But then again, no one's is. Um, but we do, I think, a fantastic job with the resources that are allotted to us. And we're growing and getting bigger all the time. And Kevin has a lot of that on his plate, and I'm happy to contribute where I can. So it's, it's a great honor uh, to be named executive producer. I won't be going anywhere. I'll still be at the desk. I'll still be calling the action with Brad Gilmore as well. So um, I appreciate that shout, Mo. And um, if you want to find out more about Reality of Wrestling, uh, go to realityofwrestling.com. We have new episodes that are posted to our YouTube page every Tuesday, brand-new, commercial-free, hour-long episodes every single week. Um, in addition to that, I do a podcast with Brad Gilmore, who is my co-host on Reality of Wrestling, five days a week. It's your opinion, doesn't matter. It covers sports, sports entertainment, pop culture, and more. And you can get it on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, at the FNX Network, or at OpinionPodcast.com. So go check that out and appreciate the support, everybody. So that's it for this week. On another edition of the Pro Wrestling Index, as always, thanks to Gags for the platform, and we'll see you next week. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on bluenile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.